And for our scripture reading today, we'll turn to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll read the entire chapter, and our text for this morning will be verses 38 and 39. So Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues and the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this, Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This far, our scripture reading for this morning. Dear congregation, as we read in Acts 2, all the disciples were gathered together in one place, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus had promised to them. He said in the first chapter of Acts that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that was that mighty pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the disciples as that sign and as that guarantee that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, that he had ascended into heaven, and that he now sat enthroned in heaven. And this day of Pentecost had now come. This was 50 days after Jesus had risen from the grave, and 10 days after he ascended into heaven, 
And this was also the beginning of what was known as the Feast of Weeks. For the Israelites, the Feast of Weeks came 50 days after the Passover. You recall that one day, the first time they, they had the Feast of Passover was in the land of Egypt, when the Lord delivered them from Egypt. And 50 days later, they came to Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And then the Lord came down to them in the clouds and in the thunder and the lightning. That's what we read in, in the law of God. That's when he audibly gave the law to them. This was pointing them to the Savior that would come, the Messiah. But now here God came down in the pouring out of his Holy Spirit on these disciples. And we read that at Mount Sinai when Israel heard the voice of God, they trembled and they feared and they said, Moses, you speak to God with us lest we die. We fear that we will die. But Moses said, don't fear. But now here in Jerusalem... The people that were listening to Peter preach, they also feared. And they said, what, what shall we do? It says they were cut to the heart. They were, they were convicted of sin. And they were convicted after they heard Peter preaching the message that the Lord Jesus was indeed God and that he was alive. And they said, what shall we do? And this is where Peter instructs the people in his first baptism service in the New Testament. And that's our text in verses 38 and 39, where it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so our theme this morning is the first baptism service of the New Testament. We'll see first the instructions given. The instruction given. The people, as we just heard in verse 37, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do? And the first instruction that Peter gives them is repent. And this is a question that we all need to begin asking in our lives at one point as well. What must we do to be saved? What must we do so that our children can be saved? And the Jews asked this question when they heard Peter preaching, when they were convicted of their own sins. So the apostles had received a special power and gift of the Holy Spirit for, for their special calling as the apostle in the New Testament church. And so here Peter, he preached boldly, he preached powerfully and effectively. And he began to, to show them and to tell them that this Jesus was indeed the Christ the, the, in verses 23 and 24, he says, and he says, you have crucified him. You have taken him with lawless hands and, and put him to death. But then he went on to say, but death could not hold him because God raised him up. God exalted him to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's what we heard about last week on Ascension Day. But in verse 33 in his sermon, Peter says that Christ received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. Christ had died for that very reason to secure the gift of the Holy Spirit for His people. That's, that's what they needed for the salvation that Christ had, had, had accomplished to be applied to the hearts of His people. And in verse 33, Peter says, He poured out this which you now see and hear. This Holy Spirit, these people speaking in tongues, these, these apostles preaching, 
and the sound of the wind that whoever heard. This is evidence and guarantee that Christ is alive in heaven and that He has now poured out His Spirit on His church. And so His conclusion in verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And here the Holy Spirit was poured out to, to accompany that word and, and to apply it to, to the hearts of those people listening. It convicted them. And it, began, it says they're cut to the heart. Literally, they're pierced in the heart by what they heard, convicted of their sin and guilt. They had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They had rejected and crucified the Son of the living God. And when Peter began to preach and explain the Old Testament prophecy here in the sermon, they realized this Jesus was the promised Messiah that they had been waiting for. He is now both the Lord and Christ. And and because Christ is God, He is alive. And that means His Word is true. But that meant for them that they will face that God in judgment for their sins. And right now they realize they stand on the wrong side of that judgment seat. They stand on the wrong side of God's judgment. They know they cannot stand before God, just like Israel knew they couldn't stand before God when they heard that law thundering from Mount Sinai. They knew they stand guilty before a holy God. And that's where you and I begin as well. We and our children begin standing guilty before this holy and this righteous God. And that means we have a problem. We have not kept God's law. We have rejected, we have despised Jesus Christ. But He is alive and He sits enthroned in heaven above. And that means you and I will one day have to stand before His judgment seat when, when we die. Because Scripture says it's appointed to, to everyone to one day to die and then the judgment. And how will you and I stand before His throne? Without Christ, we have a problem. But here already we see the first blessing of this Pentecost day. The first blessing of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit here that convicted them of their sin, to show them their need through the preaching of the Word. And that made them cry out, and it should make us cry out, what must we and our children do to be saved? And here is the first instruction that Peter gave them. He says, repent. Just like Moses told them not to fear, but Peter here had a privilege to give the full details of why they do not, do not need to fear. Israel could only see the pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ as they were shown in the tabernacle and in all the sacrifices that they were, were given. But here Peter could explain it in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that they had when they said, what shall we do? The question is, is there still any hope for us? Is there still any hope for me to be saved? And Peter here, he could explain and say, here is your only hope. 
It's like he's throwing them a life preserver now and saying, Here is your hope and your salvation. God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ. God has sent his Holy Spirit for this specific purpose for sinners who need salvation. So he says, Repent. And that repent, it essentially means to to change your mind. And along with that comes a change of heart and life. Your whole life changes. After considering what you hear, after considering what you have done, after considering knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is and where he sits now, what you've heard in the, in the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts you that you have sinned. But now consider and turn from your sin. But conviction is only the beginning, only one small part of this repentance. There must be a turning, a believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must turn your life in His direction. For all of you who have not ever known the Lord Jesus Christ, or you who have heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, but have rejected Him all your life, just like these Jews did. He says, repent. Now turn your mind and your life. Turn now and begin to see that Jesus is the Lord and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is exalted by God, who sits in heaven, and with whom we will have to do. But then secondly, he says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, what Christ had commanded his disciples to begin doing in, in Matthew 28, verse 19. And this is the first place where the first sermon where Peter begins to do this very thing. He begins this, to, to fulfill this commission. And so he, everyone is called to come under the name and under the authority of Christ. We all need the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that that saving work of Christ is applied, brought into our hearts, that we can be saved. And water baptism then, is a, it symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we need to be saved. The scripture refers to spirit baptism by other names such as regeneration. That's, that means when, when a person is born again, It's the cleansing of our sins through the blood of Christ that the Holy Spirit applies to our hearts. And so water baptism here, as we've seen this morning, is that that outward act that symbolizes what needs to happen in our hearts. Our hearts need to be washed by the blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this water baptism, it, it represents that we all need repentance, that we all need this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so Peter here, he calls these Jews to, to submit now to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they had previously crucified. He tells them to submit to Christ as their Lord and Savior, who they had previously rejected. And so he says to do this, to come under the name of Christ, we must believe. And we must submit to these doctrines of Christ that he's been teaching, that he gives to us in his word. And we must rely on on the merits, on the work of Jesus Christ to save our souls. Believing not only in God the Father, which the Jews did, they believed there's a God the Father, but now also the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who was poured out here at Pentecost. 
And so we're to submit to Christ as our King, as our Lord, to rule in our hearts, as our priest to atone for our sins, and as our prophet to bring us his word and to teach us. And then we see, secondly, the, the, the promise that is extended to the people here. Peter extends this, this promise as he continues in, in, our, in our text. He says, Be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter shows the people their hope by holding out to them the promise of God. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that that baptism signifies. That you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter said be baptized for the remission of sins. The remission means to be exempt. To be exempt from the punishment of of, of sin. Wasn't that what these Jews are worried about? What, what shall we do? We know we have sinned. How can we be exempt from the eternal punishment that comes from sin? And that needs to be our worry as well. And this is a question that we face. What must we do? What must we do for our children? Because we are born with our children, born in sin and, 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 and spiritual death. Our hearts are naturally that enmity with God, naturally, naturally crucifying the Lord as these Jews did. And we try to raise our children, but we know we also are filled with, with shortcomings and, and failures and faults. So what must we do so that they and, and little Shay can, can, can be saved even at this point when she can hardly do anything more than cry? How can our sins be forgiven? Well, this water baptism, as we've seen this morning, does not wash away those sins. It does not save this child. Peter is not saying that we received a remission by being baptized. That's an error that some have fallen into in history, as saying that our sins are washed away when we are baptized. But that is not true. But it means that we're to be baptized on the basis of the promise received. You could say baptized towards the remission of sins. Your hope of salvation is not in the water of baptism itself, but, but what it symbolizes in the, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit that God gives to the hearts. You want that remission. We need it for our children. And that's what Shay needs. That's what each of our children need. And this is what God promises. He promises the remission of sins. And that comes through the free gift of the Holy Spirit that He sends, that He poured out here at Pentecost. And so this baptism is that sign and the seal of that promise of God for salvation. And this is a promise like Peter mentions in verse 21. If you look at verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's another way here of saying repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind from following this world and turn to Christ and call upon His name. How will we be saved? How will our children be saved? Not by our own efforts, not by our own works, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who who gives this washing of our sin through the blood of Christ. It's this Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins 
Just like it convicted these, these Jews when they heard. And it makes us cry out to God for salvation. It's this Holy Spirit who shows us the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the Savior, that He is the one we need, that we cannot fix our sin problem ourselves, but that Christ is the only one who can save us, that Christ is the only one who can deliver us. It's this Holy Spirit that also gives life through that regeneration, that being born again. That's when that new spiritual life begins. And it's this Holy Spirit who even produces that fruit of faith and repentance that Peter calls you and I to hear. That faith and repentance are the signs, the first fruit, the first signs of that new spiritual life in your heart. Because without this Spirit, we are spiritually dead, unable to turn to God, unable to repent, unable to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But He gives His Holy Spirit to enable us to to begin to do so. What a blessing, what a promise that God gives here to give everything that you and our children need for salvation. But then it brings us to our third point, the explanation given. Peter, lastly, he explains the reason why we must repent and be baptized. So this promise was first given to the Jews here as Peter is preaching to the Jews, but it will go into all the world, just like the Lord Jesus had commanded him to do. Peter here is addressing the Old Testament Jews. They were thinking in Old Testament terms, and there they were under the national covenant that God had given to them through Abraham. But now it's no longer limited to just Israel. No longer limited to this nation. But it will spread to all nations. And we're a witness of that today here in Canada. Where we hear the same gospel. It's no longer limited to only Israel. And those people who joined the Jews like Ruth did. But now to every individual around the world who hears this gospel. And so beginning with the Jews. Peter says in verse 39. For this promise is to you and to your children. Just like the old covenant was to them and their children, God told Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. And so Peter wants to make clear to the Israelites here that their children are still part of God's covenant. They were included before. They're not kicked out here now. They're not removed from it. They're still included, still called to partake of it. And so the promises that God made to Abraham then are given to the church of the New Testament now. And that is why baptism is administered in the church, in the worship service, in the middle of the congregation. It's a sacrament. It's designed to strengthen our faith and to remind us of God's faithfulness to His people and to His own promises. The children in the Old Testament were included in this covenant. And boys in the Old Testament were circumcised as the sign of that covenant. And now in the New Testament, both boys and girls received the sign and the seal of this covenant in baptism. And so by baptism, then we are engrafted into 
the Christian church. We're made distinct, set apart from the world, called out from the world to be distinct, a separate people. You walk as children of God in this world, set apart, and that should be evident in our lives, young people, that we are distinct from this world. And secondly, Peter says in verse 39, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Here we see God's purpose that he has a people who he will call from, from every tribe and nation and language and tongue to all who are far off. And that means, that this word means distance or space. It, just doesn't, it doesn't mean just Jews who are far away, but, but Gentiles, not just other people who become Jews, but to every type of person living in this world can receive this same promise, this same spirit. And in Acts 10, verse 45, we see that happening, where the Holy Spirit was, was poured out upon the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And so this, this gospel has started going to the Gentiles here when Peter began preaching, and this promise continues to spread. And so Peter explained that God calls us in the New Testament to be baptized here with water which is not the actual receiving of the Holy Spirit or the remission of sins, as we've already said, but it's the sealing of the certainty of the promises that God gives to you. And that promise needs to be applied to our hearts with His Holy Spirit. And so for adults who receive baptism, it's, as an, it's, as, it's an obedience to Christ's command to be baptized after receiving that gift of the Holy Spirit, after being born again, they then make that profession of faith before the church. They receive the sign of water baptism and are incorporated into the visible church of Christ on earth. But children, as we've seen this morning, their, their believing parents come forward with their children to present them for baptism. And they receive that sign and seal to seal the certainty of that promise that is also extended to them here by God. And they become members of this church. But it doesn't mean that every child will be saved. It doesn't mean that every person who is baptized will be saved, but it symbolizes our need for this crucial work of the Spirit in our heart. And through it, God establishes His covenant in the church. He says He will be a God to you and to your children. And that from among us He will gather all His people. And so parents, this is our pleading ground. That God has given us this promise that we can take our children to Him and say, Here, Lord, are my children. You have promised to be a God to us. You have promised to give the free gift of the Holy Spirit, which we cannot buy, which we cannot work for, which we cannot take ourselves, but Thou has promised to give it as a free gift to our children. And it's an obligation to us as, as parents. We must preach to our children as Peter preached to the people here in Pentecost to tell them that the Lord is, is, the, is Jesus Christ who is in heaven, that He sits on the right hand of God the Father, that He will come again in power and glory at the end of the world, that we, are be, that we belong to Him, that we must live for Him, that we must be separate in this world for Him. And we must tell our children, repent of your sins, Turn away from anything that is sinful in this world 
If there's something in this world that you, that you seek after that is contrary to God's word, we need to change our mind, we need to change our heart, and we need to turn to the Lord. Wherever you are today, young people, examine yourselves in the light of God's word and turn to the Lord in repentance and faith that he would save your heart. And so we must bring our children up from the youngest age to direct them in this path. And here, Peter explains that Christ sits in heaven. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he died. But he died to take the punishment uh, for sin so that you can be exempt from your sin. So that you can have this punishment and penalty of sin removed. That God can give you this Holy Spirit as a free gift because Christ has paid for it with the blood of his own, of his own life. So now we can tell Shay when she becomes older, we can tell all her children that this promise is for you as well. That you have the sign of baptism on your forehead. That means you have the name of a triune God on your forehead telling you that you can be saved, telling you that God has come to you in a special way, saying you can be saved. And he says, I will be a God for you. Live to me. So we're called to do what Peter commands. We're called to turn away from our sin. To call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. We cannot give you a new heart. We cannot give you the Holy Spirit. But we can pray for you. We can pray for that Holy Spirit to come. But we cannot make you love God or obey His commandments. But when you walk around this world with a baptized forehead, with the sign and the seal of a covenant God on your forehead, and you live in this world as if God means nothing to you, as if God is dead to you, think about what that means for the living God and what that will mean for you if you have to die in this condition to stand before a living God and to tell Him, I had your promises, but I refused them and I rejected them. But now He still calls you. And he said, as we read in the form, that we must not despair of God's mercy if we have fallen into sin. Even if to this day we have walked contrary to God and have rejected Him and have crucified Him as the Jews crucified Christ. He says, come to me, all ye ends of the earth. And look upon me. Look upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what He has done. That before you were even able to consider that you needed to be saved, God has already made the way of salvation possible. And he says, here is my salvation. Come to me, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear congregation, you have now witnessed this water baptism again in our midst of little Shea Brielle. It reminds us of our own individual need of the Holy Spirit. That we ourselves cannot, that we cannot give to ourselves. And we have to come to God daily ourselves with this confession. But also for each other. As a community. As a body of Christ. Shea has been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Incorporated into this covenant community. Into this congregation. Into this body of Christ. What an encouragement that is to see God's faithfulness once again. 
God blessing us with another child, with another covenant member, but also what a responsibility. What a responsibility, congregation. When these little children look up to you and to see how you live in this world and to see what God means for you and to see how you seek Him, what does His Word mean to you? What does the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? What does the Holy Spirit mean to you? What does the God the Father mean to you? And do your children see that in you? And can they follow you? Do they hear you pray for them? Do, you hear them point, do they hear you pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, this is what you need? You need Christ. You're to be an example to her. Little Shay, with a soul that will never die, with a soul that is destined for eternity, as is yours. Do we come together to the throne of grace and say, Lord, this is your promise. This is your covenant child. Do you pray for her parents to enable them to teach her and to guide her, especially in this world where, where we are being pulled apart in so many different directions, where they're, where they're trying to steal our children from us? And we're there eroding God's word from underneath our feet. But God is faithful. He will never change. His promises never change. And so his salvation will never change. Bring her and every one of her children and each other before the Lord in prayer. We all need this gift of the Holy Spirit for the remission of our sins and for eternal life. Amen.